Hello there, once again, fellow peregrinos. Welcome to El Camino de Santiago Pilgrims podcast, where we talk about planning, preparation, and packing for walking El Camino de Santiago, as well as tips, tricks, and hacks to make your journey along the way a lot more enjoyable. This week, in our 52nd episode, which marks one year live in the podcast, I'm excited to say... We've got a very special pilgrim, a man who's overcome many, many personal challenges. He's walked 120,000 miles since 1973, all the while with type 1 diabetes. And adding to his Camino pilgrim CV, he's walked the Camino Frances from Le Puy in France, which is all the way to Santiago and then to Murcia on the coast and Finisterra on the coast. I think that's probably around about 1,500 miles, something like that, maybe more. Um, has walked the Camino del Norte, has walked the Camino Portugues, the inland route and the coastal routes. Bob Scheidt, welcome to the podcast. I'm very glad to be here, Bradley. Bob, so please take us back to the time and place where you first decided to walk the Camino and tell us about how you have overcome your, your own health challenges and still able to do what you love to do. So uh, I started walking, um, uh, you know, sort of like as a, as a real walker in 1973. And that's right the time that I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I was 18 years old at the time, and uh, it's where I started compiling my mileage. And uh, so I walked and hiked and backpacked, mountain climbing, raced bicycles, uh, walked across America, walked around the perimeter of America, you know, walked in a lot of different places in the North American continent. And then I hit a bad streak of uh, in the in the middle 2000s. Uh, I had. Um, triple bypass surgery. So I do have heart disease. Both my parents had, had, uh, my dad died of a heart attack. My mom, uh, had a stroke. So I have that in there in, in my, you know, uh, family history. And I also have, uh, the diabetes helps a lot with, with causing trouble with that kind of, uh, uh, the heart disease. And so I had triple bypass. I had, uh, I had a bicycle accident, which I really broke my leg pretty bad. Uh, and I was in North Carolina, so I was bicycling down the coast. And uh, and I just went through a really bad period. And uh, at the time, I was my 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 uh, I, I had a lot of friends who had diabetes around the same time I did, and a lot of them were really uh, having troubles. A, a couple of them had passed on. Uh, one of them uh, was going blind. Uh, one of them had lost both his legs from the knee down. Uh, there was just just a whole bunch of random things. And they're sort of, it's common, they're called complications. And diabetes does that long term. So I'm looking at my life now and I'm thinking, wow, maybe this is all I get. Maybe I've been lucky to get as many years and do as many things as I've done. And maybe this disease is just that bad. And, and, you know, and I can be, I can feel happy in that I got to do all those things. And now maybe it's more or less, uh, going to be easy, easier from now on, uh, going to have to take it easy. Um, both my daughters sort of sat me down and, uh, they, they told me that that was, uh, bullshit. And they said, <laughs> you don't, this is not you. This is not sure that you, we know you're at risk. They say that's every day is a risk. But you have to get back up there and do something again. Plan it and, and pack for it and all those things that, go, uh, that are part of actually going on an adventure. And they said, and I think you're sort of done with North America. You've done so many things all over the continent. Uh, it's time for you to move on to somewhere else. Do some research. Let's look around. And I I looked and I found the Camino de Santiago. I thought it would be a nice uh, introduction to Europe and maybe I'd end up walking across Europe. Uh, so I thought, well, I'll just, I'm going to, this looks interesting. I, I was always, I always read a lot of history. I, I read a lot of theology. Uh, also, all that stuff was already there. And I figured, and, and just to see the architecture and, 
and have it an adventure going over the Pyrenees and the Galician Mountains. So to me, it was just another adventure. In 2013, I planned it. I started uh, 1st of March in uh, Roncesvalles, uh, planning on the next year coming across France and then coming up over the Pyrenees. So I figured I'd start there and I'd go all the way to the to the Atlantic at Muxia and, and um, Finisterre. And what I found was, having done adventures all my life, suddenly, this here, the walk to Santiago de Compostela, in, in just in itself, was way more than an adventure. This was something a, a totally different. It, there were so many uh, factors that were involved in making this different. And I no longer looked at it the same way. I came home a changed man. And I know that's sort of a cliche with a lot of pilgrims. And um, and I, I sort of maybe I even scoffed at that a little before I went. You know, I said, well, you know, I've been doing this all my life. What's the big deal? But no, there is something going on each step on that trail across nor- uh, northern Spain that I it, it, sometimes I do stumble around trying to uh, explain it. But. Something is going on, and I know the other pilgrims know it, and I know I've read the books and the accounts, and now I now I really get it. And I said to myself, I'm going back again. I'm going to do a different trail, and I'm going to do in the next year. Maybe I'll do a different. I started planning them, and I still some I haven't done, like the Via de la Plata, and uh, maybe even some of the stuff in Germany and Switzerland. And uh, right now, that is my goal: is to walk one Camino a year till the day I die. And uh, I'm 65 now. That could be another 15, 20, 25 Caminos. 50. And the funny could thing be another 50 after, Caminos. Yeah, I know. I know. And after saying that, what happens this year? I'm not walking a Camino because of, of COVID-19. Uh, so it's been a challenge now to, I would have gone probably in the spring so we're way past that already. I'm not going in the fall because I know they're opening up, but not to anyone from America, from the USA. And uh, my daughter who works in diabetes at a hospital said, I'm not going. She said, listen, dad, you're not going until there's a vaccine. She said if that if that is next spring, if that is next fall, 2021, you're not going till you have the vaccine in you. And that, and she said, so just try to deal with that. She said, but you're not going. Like a caged so, animal. They're the push, yeah, they're the ones that pushed me to do the Camino, and now they're now they're saying, well, they, now you got to just be careful. Yeah, Bob, can I just touch on a few things you said there? Because wow, I mean, sure. I'm, I am absolutely honoured to be talking to a man that just blithely says, like it's the most normal thing in the world. Uh, I walked across America, you know, just like he went to the shops. I walked around America, <laughs> you know. Come on, Bob, yeah. that's incredible. You're like a real life yeah. Forrest Gump. It's, it's, it's yeah, well, sort of, yeah. Um, minus the beard, Bob. And, uh, Bob, I've just and, yeah. you, you've you've given me goosebumps and put a massive smile yeah. on my face when I most needed it, and I and and I thank you for that. And I'll tell you why a bit later on. Um, thank God, your daughter's uttered those words to you that it was um i'm about to repeat the word your own words it was bullshit um yeah and you this yeah. isn't you and <laughs> and i love it i just love what love this story bob and i'm also sorry to hear about your own parents health challenges and i'm um but at the same time i'm happy to hear how you've taken them and made something positive out of them and just used it as a reason to grow and 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 develop and, and knock all those those barriers and walls down. Um, and ever since then, the, your da- daughter's motivated you and told you this wasn't you. You've gone on to do all those Caminos, all those miles. And um, I just, you're an inspiration, Bob. That's all I can say. You know, from eight minutes into this call, you're in, in, you're an inspiration. And you remind me of one of my best friends who's, who's we, we have a saying in, in, in the UK. I don't know if you have it in America. Um, but we say, where have you been? And you say, well, I've been to Timbuktu, which means you've kind of been everywhere today. Um, do you have that saying <laughs> in America? Yeah. Um, where have you, you been know, today? We say, we've been to Timbuktu. So my friend actually 
went to Timbuktu. It's, it's a small yeah. village in Africa. Just just to say that he'd been to Timbuktu. And um, you remind yeah, no. me very much of our best friend. So I, I feel like I have a kindred spirit on, on the line with me. Yeah. So great stuff, Bob. You're an inspiration. Now, imagine you were to go back on, and I'm going to quiz you later on about a, uh, a comparison of all those Caminos. And I'm also going to quiz right. you about, and probe you a bit more about what that something is that's going on. We'll, we'll go into that in a little while. So I've got these on my list of things to probe you on. But uh, imagine you're going to pack the Camino tomorrow. Aside from what you need to maintain your your type 1 diabetes, because I've read on your Instagram that's an extra 7 kilograms you have to carry with you. Um, but imagine, yes. aside from those things, what will be the three most important things you take with you when you're going on one of your adventures? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I use my iPhone for, for as my camera. And I use it uh, to check my diabetes uh, because now I wear a continuous glucose monitor. And that uh, ha has a, a transmitter that sends all my information uh, to, the, to the iPhone and charts it and graphs it and sends it to my diabetes educator, which happens to be my daughter. So everyone's getting the information, my endocrinologist, 24-7. Uh, it's truly amazing, the, this, this piece of equipment. And... But once again, it, it makes the iPhone part of my body almost because that's where I check to see where my glucose is and whether or not I have to change it. So the iPhone is so important. I have like 300 some books uh, downloaded there so I don't carry any books. I do all my reading at night before I fall asleep on my iPhone. I have my music on my iPhone, though I don't really listen on headphones while I'm walking. It's just not something that I'm really that I really do. Um, but. You know, so the iPhone is way more than just the, for me, uh, another another piece of of technology. It's it's like my world basically, and I whether that's good or not, I, that I you know that's the way it is. So the iPhone is paramount, and and because it's so important to me, because of my health, I it's less likely to leave it lay somewhere or like I say, it's almost like grown into my hand. So, so, uh, yeah, so that's one thing. And, you know, for years I carried an umbrella, uh, a lightweight seven ounce, uh, which is like, uh, you know, you know, seven ounces and it, it's, uh, aircraft aluminum. It's real lightweight, but it works really well, especially in the wind. So I'm always amazed how good this umbrella is made by company go light that I think they don't exist anymore, but, um, and what was good is before I had my CGM, I used to check my blood sugar eight to 10 times a day. So I would have to uh, take a machine and take a drop of blood out of my fingertip, put it in the strip, and that tell me what my blood sugar is. And I adjust it. If it's low, I have to eat some. If it's high, I give a little insulin. Try to keep that balance. And uh, in the pouring rain, which was a lot on the Norte, it rained and rained. I would kneel down, squat, put the umbrella between my legs and hold it with my legs. And I could actually check my blood sugar in a, in a downpour. So the, the umbrella was so a vital piece of equipment. Now I no longer have to do that. So that's not as important. And I also found in heavy winds, which once again, on some of those peaks in the, on the, on the Norte, the wind would like try to take it out of your hand. And it was, to the point where you just even couldn't use it anymore. It was just, it would have collapsed it. So I end up carrying it for a few more years. And, uh, but also, but now I, the last Camino I did a year ago, I didn't use it. So, uh, that was a, a extremely important piece of equipment, but, uh, it's not so, not so much anymore. Uh, the other piece of equipment that I haven't even used yet, but it's in my pack now uh, last year, when I was redoing the Frances for the third time, I, I slept in Hontanas, and this is early March, very early. And it, we stayed in a, a monastery, maybe four other pilgrims. It was really cold in that monastery. That night got so cold, and all I have usually is a four-ounce um, little little sleeve that I that I it's satin, and it's uh, that I that I sleep in. And that night I was freezing. I had all my clothes on. And then this Irish guy in the bunk next to me, he said, Hey buddy, you got to get one of these. And he showed me how to quilt. 
and it was uh, it only weighed a, it only weighed a pound. Uh, so and he he uh, and it was so warm he packed it up and it was like just the ball of his hand was how it packed up. It was down, down, uh, down feathers. And uh, he says you got to get one of these. And I went when I got home that year. I immediately went and bought one. And I, and I have it right next to my pack, ready to use. Of course, I didn't get to go anywhere this year, uh, but that's going to be another piece of equipment now that I'm going to look. That I'm looking forward to trying out in some of those, especially in the monasteries. I love staying in monasteries, but a lot of times they're cold, even in the summer. So, uh, and then the summer, that's a good thing. But in in early early spring, they can be very cold in there. And also in the mornings, you know, the, the, when you're waking up at four or five in the in the in the middle of the dead of night and early mornings, that it can be very cold. Then even at the height of summer, so um, the iPhone because it's got obviously gives you the a live feed of your data. And for anyone that's, I, I think this is a great. Um, you're a great example that despite any obstacles that some might have, walking the Camino can still be done for many. Um, so the iPhone will, will help anyone with type, type 1 diabetes for the live feed of, of your, your body's information. You've also got your books and your music on there. The umbrella, which you've, you said for your own personal reasons you need. And obviously that Golight umbrella, which only weighs a few ounces, can be useful on a hot day as well if you're walking with no shade. And the quilt. Now, I want to. Yeah, I have used that. Yep. Yeah, I want a question I on the quilt. Um, what's the What's the brand of the quilt? Um, is just so people know to go and look for it. Uh, I know some of the people told me you could buy a fairly cheap one, uh, in in like a department store like Costco or, uh, you know, places like that. Uh, I got mine through REI, uh, and uh, probably mine costs a little more, and also is maybe a little more durable. Uh, you know, after a while, if you're packing and unpacking it, the feathers start to lose their resiliency a little bit. Uh, the higher goose down count you have, the better it is. Uh, but you also got to pay more. So, uh, I did, I probably, mine's probably somewhere around the middle of the road cost wise. And, um, I, I seem to be happy with it though. I haven't, you know, except using it a few nights at home just to try it out. There were a few times I would, in winter, I would open all the windows in my bedroom and then I'd fall asleep with no covers on and I have the quilt next to me. And the idea was that I would wake up in the middle of the night freezing and I would take the quilt, put it around me and then I'd see how well it worked. And oh my God, it was such a great feeling to grab that quilt and pull it <laughs> over you and say, ah. And my wife said, I'm not sleeping in that bed tonight. I'm sleeping in the spare bedroom because I'm not going to lay in freezing cold in the winter. And I said, okay, I just want to try this out tonight. And that's it. I think I did it two or three other times. And thing works like a charm. Bob, you are a very, very funny, inspirational man. I love it. Um, <laughs> and uh, your wife um, is uh, obviously um, listening to this, if she is listening to this, and uh, I guess we say sorry for making her cold in the night, but there's going to be a lot of pilgrims. That, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of pilgrims that are going to find a lot of use from this, Bob. So um, absolutely brilliant. So go to um, REI, Costco, no matter where you are in the world, um, some outdoor stores and ask for a, a special quilt that will fit into the ball of your hand. Okay, now what we like to do is we like to get personal recommendations and reasons why um, for those that are going to follow in your footsteps on one of the many Caminos that you've walked, Bob. So could you recommend a specific albergue or lodging somewhere to stay and why you think people should go and stay there? Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people on the, on the Frances talk about Grignon. Uh It is everything they say it is. Grayon is such a pilgrim experience. The communal meal where you go into, uh, where, you, where you go to mass and uh, it's in the same building. You're actually staying in the church uh, at the albergue and the villagers all come out and then they have a, they, they greet you and welcome you. And, uh, and then they have a, right at the end of the ceremony, they have a, a pilgrim, uh, blessing where everyone gets up front and they, you know, you tell everyone where you're from. And I think it's just a wonderful thing. I just think of those villagers every night they get to meet people from around the world. And pilgrims are some of the greatest people in the world. I mean, I've traveled everywhere and I've met a lot of people. Pilgrims are fantastic. And for these villagers to see these dedicated people coming from all parts of the world 
and walking across their lands and and worshiping with them. And uh, I, I just think Granyon is great. But the thing is, everyone says that one. So uh, I do have a few others just to uh, to make, you know, to uh, some of the others uh, on the Lapui route in Moizak. There's uh, one called Altrea. Uh, uh, there it's Jeet Dita. And, uh, it, but it's like an albergue. And they have a communal meal there. And it's an Irish couple that run that. That's a great place. I love that. Uh, on the Norte, uh, this is also one of the favorites. A lot of people say it's the greatest albergue in all of, of, of the Caminos. And that's in, in Guames. And it's Father Ernesto, who's traveled the world. And he has, he decided to have in its all, everything is donativo. And uh, he has people that, that come there and stay there and they like it so much they end up staying for three weeks and donating their time to cooking and, and keeping the place clean and that. And uh, that's also, I've been there twice now already on the Norte. And that is way up there. And one of, I, don't, I don't think it's overrated at all when people say it's the greatest, the greatest albergue. Uh, and then uh, also there's one in Agueda, and that's on the route from Lisbon to Santiago on the Portuguese. And it's down in more in the southern part. Uh, that is uh, Albergue de Peregrino Santo Antonio. And that was a family that ran that. And that was a very, uh, it was a communal meal. And they had a, uh, it was a family sort of vibe to it. And uh, they washed my clothes. They hung them out in the line. And they just, they didn't want you to do anything. You just take it easy. We're doing, you know, it's like, okay, that's okay. I'm fine. I'm, I still got some energy left. No, no, no. We're here to serve you. And that's, I thought that was absolutely wonderful. And, uh, yeah. So those are probably my, on, on my list of, of favorites. Right. So that's a wonderful list of recommendations there, Bob. Thanks so much. So it's on the Camino del Norte. You said it was the albergue in Güemes. And that's G-U-E-M-E-S. And um, yep. bold statement yep. there, Bob, greatest Alberg on the Camino. So yeah. um, do go yeah. and check that out, guys, <laughs> when you go to the Camino, whenever you can. Um, we also said well, there was one on the Camino uh, Portugues, and that was the Alber Albergue Peregrinos San Antonio de Agueda. And that Agueda is spelled A-G-U-E-D-A. -E Just looking at it on Google now, and it's 44 reviews, 4.8 so you're, many people definitely agree with you. And there's the Albergue on the Camino Francesc, which has been mentioned many times before on this podcast, would be my recommendation too. And that was the Albergue in Granon. That's spelled G-R-A-N-O-N. And the first N has kind of the little moustache hanging over it. I don't actually know the name of that, uh, that symbol in, um, in yes. Spanish, but yes, Granon. That's how it's said. Yeah. And that's in La Rioja. Um, an amazing place yeah. I had. Possibly, arguably, the most memorable night of my Camino Frances there as well. Um, so definitely yeah. agree with you with that one. And just, Bob, I didn't quite catch, because you were a bit too quick for me, the place in Le Puy, on the route from Le Puy. Yeah. Okay, yeah, the town is, the city is Moizac, somewhere around the middle. Right, do you know how to uh, spell that, just so people can look it up? Yeah, I think it's M-O-I-S-A-C. Okay. Moizac. And it's uh, yeah, Ultrea is the name of the of the d'état, which is uh, or albergue okay. in French. Perfect, yeah. perfect. And the owners are Ireland. Yeah, and you know I have a couple runners up real quick here too. Uh, there's one in Mancia de, de la Mulas, right before the, the stage, right before Leon, uh, the albergue Gaia, J A uh, uh, K. Uh, G-A-I-A, Albergue Gaia. Uh, and then there's uh, one in uh, uh, Via Franco del Berezo, and that is the uh, uh, Albergue de la Piedra. And it's built into a big rock, this huge rock, and it's built into some of the walls in the albergue, or the, actually the rock is part of the, of the wall. Um, and that yeah. was a really nice experience, and I, I like that one. 
Well, thanks for all those recommendations, Bob. Um, all of the pilgrims, you can just uh, hit rewind on this and go back and write them all down and pause it. And you've got lots of places to stay, depending on which Camino you're going to walk. So let's ask you now about um, a favorite city, town or village along the way. We're, we're, it could even be a hidden gem, like you just mentioned, like the Albergue de, de Piedra, like an albergue kind of set into a rock. And Stone Alberg, that translates as somewhere, somewhere you'd recommend visiting along the way. Uh, as far as big cities in on the Frances, I like Leon. I really always have a great feeling when I walk into Leon, which I've now done about three times. And I stay at the same place with a family. And it's not real. It's an albergue, but I usually stay in the room there. I mail my uh, medical supplies ahead to them and they take care of them. When I get there, they have them all laid out on my bed when I get there and they put my insulin in the refrigerator to keep it cool. And they know, they, they know the whole drill now. So I, so that, that makes Leon that, but even without that, Leon is just a, a sort of a magical place. And it's, you know, the, the last big city before you, you uh, make your way over the next few weeks and to the end in Santiago. Um, in small, smaller places, I always loved Astorga. I could, I could spend days in Astorga, walking along the, the walled city, along the top of the ramparts. I go out at night and walk along there and look off into the distance. And, of course, the, the cathedral, and uh, it, it almost looks castle-like. And, uh, yeah, I have a, always have a great time in, in Astorga. Stayed there probably three times also. Uh, on, the, on the La Puy route, I like Cahor. It's a it's a fairly big town, somewhere around the middle of the of the walk, and you come down off the mountain, and there's this big river that horseshoes around the city, and uh, and then there's this huge, almost like a drawbridge across the river where you exit the next morning and climb up the mountain again on the other side of the town of the city, and. Uh, and you can look back onto the city then and, and see that that huge bridge. And uh, I thought that was quite quite a magical feel to it, a charming uh, city also. Uh, Small-wise, I like Espeleon. It's like a weekend from La Puy. And there's uh, uh, a lot of colored bridges that go over the river there. And uh, there's a castle, uh, a, a castle that's sort of, somewhat destroyed but they still have some of the the weaponry still sitting out in the yard there and um and that's way up on the hill you got to do a side trip to that which i did and it's quite fascinating there so that's espeleon on the portuguese i like uh, porto at this point in my life of uh, my travels porto is my favorite city in the world now mm, wow. i could live there for a good year or two and I, I just explore all over that place. And it's, I, I think it's just, like I say, it's one of my favorite. Uh, and then a close second to that city-wise would be Coimbra, which is south of, of uh, Porto by maybe uh, not, not even a, quite a week. But that's, that's also a, a, a pretty amazing place. And it, it uh, sits on a big river and it's got a lot of university. Uh, there it's it's known as a place of great knowledge and uh, smaller towns on the Portuguese Tomar uh, all the way down a couple uh, days walk eh, maybe like six days walk up from Lisbon and there's a Knights Templar castle that sits way up on the hill right on the edge that's of town that's a long town. walk up like, isn't it yeah that's a heck of a walk up and that I think might be my, I've been in a lot of castles it might be my favorite castle uh, you go right up on the edges of the ramparts and walk through and stare through the little gaps where they would shoot their arrows through and, uh, into, and you can look down on the town of Tomar and, uh, yeah, that's quite an amazing place. Uh, the Norte, the, the stretch between Probina and La Arena, uh, and over to Anton. You walk, you, you walk up, you're, come, you're walking across the beach of about a kilometer from uh, La Arena to Perbino, uh, Perbina. And then you go, right away you go, I usually stay there at night in, in Probina because you go up a set of steps, so about 300 steps, and you get up on these cliffs 
And you walk on those cliffs for about six kilometers where you're right above the Atlantic, uh, you know, pretty high up above the Atlantic and the waves are slamming against the cliffs there. And you look back over to the south, you can almost see Bilbao off in the, to the east. And uh, you walk along there for just, I say, it's about five or six kilometers. And it's probably one of the greatest stretches of any Camino. And I, what I do is I go, when I stay in Brabine, I've done this twice. I put my headlight on and walk up the steps at night and walk along there. That is really something. That, that will always stay in my, is somewhere in my brain, uh, in my memory, uh, that as one of the greatest times of my life to be up there on those cliffs. I, my youngest daughter was with me uh, two years ago when I redid that section, and I took her up and said, "Be prepared. You're gonna you're gonna have your mind blown." And yeah, she said, "Why are we going up here at night? I'm sleepy. It's dark." And I said, uh, "Just wait. Just wait." And yeah, she was. She oh my gosh, this is pretty nice. Yeah, I guess I could do without an hour's sleep. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so that's. Uh, Probably, probably my my um, places on the Caminos I've done. Well, thank you for that comprehensive list of must-see places, Bob. Um, so much to do and um, so little time to do it all in. Um, La Arena de Brobina on Camino del Norte. Um, Porto on, which you said, your favorite city in the world. And yeah, I can see why. You know, just sitting down by the river and all those cafes and bars um it's just such a beautiful city as well and the architecture that church overlooking the river as well and you can see across to the other side of the city um coimbra all the colorful houses leon estorga on the camino frances um yeah i mean bob you make everyone want to go and walk every single camino possible like you have done yourself (laughs) (laughs) you're putting us all to shame putting us all to shame mate all to shame um, Bob, you've walked, as we said, more than 100,000 miles around the world since 1973. You are an inspiration, Bob. I've said it once and I'll probably say it more times in this podcast. He's breathing some life into me just talking to you um, while I'm feeling a bit sorry for myself that I had to cancel my own Camino because uh, I've realised my knees are in a bit of a bad state. And um, so let me quiz you on foot care routines pre-walking post-walking how do you care for your feet while you're doing all these miles yeah uh, when you have type 1 diabetes you get a lot less circulation to your feet so it even becomes more paramount than the average walker to uh, take care of your feet and so every morning whether i'm on camino or not i've basically been doing this for 40 some years I massage my feet. I have a, a ball that I, you can use a tennis ball. You can use a rugby ball, you know, I, I mean, a, a hard, a real hard, heavy ball, but you can use, you, you roll your feet back and forth and you use cream. Uh, I work it in there into the, into the calluses. Uh, my feet are very calloused. My uh, daughters make a joke that I sort of have hobbit feet <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> from all the miles, but I work. I work them every day, every morning. I stretch. I uh, it's just a routine that I'm. That's just part of my life now. And really, because of all that, I've, I've not had any foot problems. And uh, I, I sometimes feel a little bad because I I actually take care of feet every now and then. I'll help someone with blisters because I carry all the kit that I need to take care of blisters. And I always end up using them on other people or giving them to other people. Uh, but I don't use them myself uh, because I just I, I'm just really lucky when it comes to feet, and so I've uh, I'm blessed w- with that. And with the diabetes, it's a it's a dangerous thing. So uh, so I can feel really good about that. Okay, so massage ball just get the circulation going in your feet. Cream for obvious reasons to to lubricate and stop the friction. Stretching just to keep the muscles supple. And from what I'm taking away from what you said, Bob, is just being very careful and making it part of, like you say, something you do every day before walking, after walking, as long as you get into that routine. And that is the way you can walk pain-free and hopefully blister-free as well. Okay, Bob, I'm going to put you on the spot now. You've walked all these miles on the Camino, France, Spain, Portugal, 
you've, you've picked out your favourite city, not only on the Camino, but in the whole world, Porto. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to recommend one specific eatery, restaurant, cafe, bar, where the food would make you want to come back again and again. You can only choose one, though, Bob. I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. Um, I, part of the problem is I, I have them all in my mind. I can always picture them, but I don't always remember the name of, of the actual restaurant. Um, I'm trying to think. There's, uh, hmm, there's a, uh, I, I like the Basque food. So in Pamplona, at any of those restaurants that, that circle around the plaza and, and the square and with the church at the other end, I've eaten at quite a few places there. I've been, I've been to Pamplona four times already. And, it's, and out of those four times, three of them have been on a Thursday night when they have that, uh, when it's pinchos and, and uh, beer for two euros. And uh, the place is a madhouse at 10, 11 o'clock at night, yet they're still, the, the streets are so crowded you can barely walk through. To get to the bar, you have to wait and sort of just shuffle your way through. Though it's never a, a pushy type, shovey, people like, you know, disgusted. And that, it's like a, just a fun thing. I absolutely adore that. And I, so I go in and out of a lot of different bars uh, for those. And I, I, like, I like tapas and I like pinchos and, uh, and to try all the different ones, a little bit of everything. And uh, so definitely almost anywhere in Pamplona, I, I love the food there. I have a few other places. Uh, I go, my, one of my favorite foods on the Camino is caldo de gallego, the, the soup there in Galicia. And uh, there's a little place in Santiago, uh, and it's just to the south of the cathedral. Uh, as you go down those those path, those cobblestone streets where the uh, where all the restaurants are, and you get to the very end, and uh, right near the park, there's a real little uh, shop there. Uh, it's only got maybe five or six tables and chairs in it, and that's the best soup. And I've had people when I tell them I'm going for Caldo Gallego tonight. You want to come along? They say, oh, I love that. So my, my favorite too. I said, this is the best yet. And they said, well, I'll be the judge of that. You know, I've had a lot of Caldo Gallego. And after they go with me, they come out and say, you were right. That's the best stuff I've ever had. So, yeah. But I can't think of the name. I'm really sorry, Bradley. I just, yeah, that escapes me. Well, you still provided some great recommendations. So Pinchos in Pamplona, on a, if you happen to be there on a Thursday night, if it coincides with the time you pass through the city, then make sure you get some Pinchos, which are the little tapas. Sometimes they come on a bit of bread uh, and you can have loads of them and um, yeah, and never feel full. And you get them with the beers, which is the, the kind of the small beers, which are called the canyas. If you want to know a bit more of an education on that, then go back and listen to our episode with Jose Marie, Jose Marie Ardanas. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong, Jose Marie. But um, he's a native of Pamplona and provides some amazing recommendations. So look for that. And yeah, Bob, couldn't agree more. The Caldo Gallego in Galicia. Um, why not go around the city and try as many places as you can and find the best one like Bob did? So good stuff, Bob. Thanks for those recommendations and tips as well. Now, Bob, I'm going to launch into what we call the Camino Quickies, quick fire round. So we're going to make our answers to this one. We're going to, you're going to get lots of questions in a short space of time. So short, sharp, sweet answers so we can get through, through all of them as much as possible. Are you ready for this, Bob? Yes. Good stuff. Okay, here we go. So... Your favorite Camino blog or book? Uh, I, I read a lot, and I there's I have uh, Robert Sibley, The Way of the Stars. Uh, he's a bit of a crank at times, but he gets into the deeper stuff uh, in between all that, all his walking, which he sometimes doesn't always enjoy. <laughs> but uh, his way of thinking is just I I, I learned so much from his book. Uh, and there's a, there's a priest that walks, uh, he, Kevin Codd, he, to the field of stars, but that's his Camino book, his, uh, Frances book. But the one I liked the most, he walked from Belgium on the Vézelay rod into France and down to, um, say Jean Petitpour 
And uh, that book is is I it's called Beyond Beyond Even the Stars, uh, a, a Compostela Pilgrim in France. I thought that was fascinating because it was on a route that maybe I'd like to do and haven't done yet. But just his insights on that one were even better than his first book, which was on the Frances. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then a, a buddy of mine, Steve Watkins, which is probably you should try to get him on your on your podcast. This guy's pretty incredible. He has a book called Pilgrim Strong. He's from Arkansas and uh, he's a buddy of mine and he's this guy's something else. Uh, so I think you really enjoy interviewing him. So I'm going to I'm going to let him know and and maybe you can uh, search him out. But uh, Steve Watkins and the book is Pilgrim Strong. Thanks for those recommendations, Bob. Favorite vlog or film Camino related? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, the way has this allure to it. Uh, and as far as a, a Camino movie, it's not as big to me. Uh, it's, I think it stands up as a movie because a lot of my friends who have no interest in the Camino sort of got a kick out of it. So I think it's a well-done movie. I just don't think it represents the Camino as once you walked it a few times. And like the weather seems to always be the same. Like, and we know that that changes all the time. I don't think I ever saw anyone wearing shorts in the movie hardly. And uh, I don't even take long pants with when I walk. I, I just have a pair of tights that I rarely ever wear. Uh, but you know, I wear shorts all the time and a lot of people do, and I walk in March and April, but in that, in that movie, for some reason, they always had jackets on and long pants. And I thought, this is sort of strange that the weather never changes. Um, you know, and those are just minor things. So anyway, that's, it's still a good movie to see, but I like six, six ways to Santiago walking the Camino. I think, uh, that, that, yeah. And, and Annie, uh, who's one of the six uh, pilgrims that that's interviewed in there. I think she's just a wonderful person. I I'm friends with her just on social media and she's uh, she's a real ambassador for the Camino. And she suffered a lot in the middle of it, as you'll see in that in that movie. One thing you wished you'd packed, maybe there's going to be a null and void answer for you. But one thing you wish you'd packed maybe on one of your Caminos. Yeah, you know, probably I, I'm real. I'm really like uh, down with making sure I have everything with me. And I. I've rarely ever said that anytime on my Caminos, uh, maybe except for this quilt, but now I have one. So other than that, yeah. You're good to go. Um, one thing you've taken yep. with you, but wouldn't take again. Uh, probably the umbrella. Uh, even though it's, it, there could be a few days where I wish I had it. There aren't enough days that I need to carry it anymore. I just, you have a really good raincoat. And, uh, and, and I have used it in the sun too, a few times, but not that often since I don't go in summer. If I went in summer, I might carry the umbrella more for, uh, the sun than for the rain even. Okay. So a quote or some meditations for the road when you fall upon hard times, maybe, or any time for that matter. Yeah. And I carry a little journal, a little, uh, notebook that I'll write things in that other pilgrims tell me. And I'll, I'll find sometimes along the road, just a, a saying that I'll write in there. So I've got, I've got thousands of them, but my mantra seems to always have, have, um, been, um, the goal is the path. And that's the Buddha who said that, uh, the goal is the path. And to me, that is that you're not necessarily walking to get somewhere or to, to, to make an accomplishment, to do something. The goal is actually every morning is the path itself. The path is what's important. The walking it is not to get anywhere. Hardest part of the Camino for you, Bob? Uh, I, li I like the climbs. I'm a really good climber. I'm a really bad descender. I do not like going steep downhills when they're rocky and slippery. And uh, maybe I'm just not a good balanced guy. Uh, and like I'll zoom up the hill. If I'm in a group, I'll zoom up the hill and I'll be at, way ahead of them. And as we're descending, they'll actually catch up to me. So uh, I would say any of those descents, that one from Cruz de Ferro that goes, that takes you down to a, a, El Acebo, that's a nasty. That's horrible. That is, 
Yeah. A nasty climb. Even down into Molenseca. Yeah, that's a nasty one. It's like walking over a load of uh, moving footballs, soccer balls, and the boulders and stuff. Yeah, I didn't like that. Um, okay, so a Camino app internet resource. Uh, I use um, Wise Pilgrim uh, is what I use for my guidebook. Uh, I also have downloaded on my uh, e-reader, uh, I do have um, the some of the other guides, and I'll occasionally check them or just read them for the fun of reading them because I do like to read guidebooks in the off-season. I read guidebooks all the time. But on the trail... I use, I, I think that's, is it Ivar uh, who puts out the Wise Pilgrim uh, guidebooks and that, that you actually download the app and you actually have the app there. And I have all, all the trails on there, even some that I haven't done yet, but I have all those. Yeah, I think that one's Camino. You get that one from Camino de Santiago.me, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, if yeah. you just look up Casa Ivar. I-V-A-R, you can yep. find that as well. Good stuff. Lastly, in yes. a quick fire yes. round, Bob, um, a guilty pleasure that you carried with you. Uh, uh, I sometimes, cons- like I told, I said this earlier, that my iPhone, I considered it a, a guilty pleasure because it, you know, it's an expensive piece of technology and uh, I, I sometimes would like to be more monastic and just walk every day and get to wherever I want to stop when I see the place and not try to plan anything. But at the same time, it's so important to me for a lot of other things. Uh, and uh, I, I know that I will always have my iPhone with me, but sometimes I just think that it would be nice, just maybe one Camino to not have any technology with me. Okay, thanks for that, Bob. Lots of really, really useful stuff for the listeners to, to use there as amazing quickfire rounds. So, Bob, I'm going to ask you to recall now a funny, inspiring, quirky moment or encounter that you've had on the Camino. It could be any of your Caminos, the Frances, the Norte, the Portugues, the inland route, the coastal route, all the ones you, you've, you've walked. Um, something that embodies everything that's good about the Camino. Yeah, um, uh, I have a story here, and it's a bit of a tragic story. Uh, the first year I walked, uh, I about a week before Santiago, like somewhere just beyond Saria, I I came up on a pilgrim, and uh, he was from uh, he was from London, and uh, he was a tough guy. He was a uh, uh, he was a, a army ranger and a special forces. He was probably in his early 40s at that time that I met him. And uh, he was <laughs> he was having a party along the Camino. He was basically said, said, I'm a, I'm, he said, I'm a. I think that must be, uh, that must be Steven Spielberg calling Bob to try and get to make a movie about yeah. your life. Okay, got it. Okay, so um, <laughs> what happened with well, he told me he said I no I really didn't understand walking the Camino. He said it's not my thing, but he said my mom told me, Dougie, you're living a decadent life. Maybe it's time for you to walk this. And he said I, I don't have a religious bone in my body, but my mom's a real hardcore Catholic. So she told me, Dougie, you got You should walk this. I she gave me all the information. I thought, oh, okay, I'll I'll do it for my mom. <laughs> he said, because I said, well, what, what's your problem? Well, why don't you feel, what does she feel like you're living at that? He says, well, I smoke too much. I drink too much and I chase women. And I said, oh, okay. He said, I've been divorced three times. And he said, I'm working on my fourth. I said, well, you mean you're working on your fourth marriage? You know, I'm working on my fourth divorce already. And it hasn't even happened yet. I said, oh, okay. Okay. So, um, and I'm the exact opposite. I've been married, you know, 44 years. And, um, uh, and I don't drink, I don't smoke. So we were a real odd couple. And everyone who knew me and everyone who knew him earlier on the Camino, we would get together and say, boy, you two guys are like totally different. And yet you are, you are buddies now on the Camino. We had some, I had so much fun with him. And this, and then I also mentioned to him, I said, he said, it's actually working. He said, I've gotten better on the Camino. 
And I said, oh, that's amazing. I said, I still take notice. You, you still flirt with women a lot. You still drink. You still smoke quite a bit. He says, oh, yeah, but you didn't know me at the beginning. He said, this is a downgrade. He said that I'm, I'm on the downward spiral now. He said, so I'm, I'm getting better. So I said, okay. So we, got, we walked into Camino, into Santiago together. We both cried together. In fact, he told me at the end, when we stood in front of the cathedral, he broke down and started crying. And he was this real tough man, you know. And he says, oh, man, I don't know what's wrong with me. He said, I, I just can't control my tears. He said, I'm crying like a baby. He said, Bob? Don't you ever tell anyone about this. And I said, I'm going to tell you right up front, Dougie. I'm going to tell everybody about this. This is an amazing transformation. I said, I think this maybe speaks a lot about the Camino to me. And uh, and it's just a, we became buddies. We've been buddies, social media for years and years now. And he and we always said, you know, we got to walk together again. We got to. And every year when I would go. He'd say, well, I'm, I'm maybe not this year, but maybe next year, maybe next year. And he was uh, he was working in Saudi Arabia in, in the capital city there uh, for for a few years. And so that's where I was hearing from him. And he says, yeah, I could get off a couple of weeks and do the Norte with you. or I can do the Portuguese. And then he says, well, maybe next year. And we went and it went like that. And then last year when I was getting ready to do the Frances for the third time, I said, Hey, Dougie, come along. Let's let's do it together again. Let's this be great. And he says, yeah, he said, maybe, oh, man, I really like to. He said, but maybe next year. And I got a message right before I started from his family. He had passed away. He, he had really bad case of pneumonia and it, it caused him to have a heart attack. And it happened three times. They revived him all three, t- two times. And the third one took him. And he basically... Uh, died in a hospital in Rija, Saudi Arabia. And, uh, and now we never got to do that or walk together. And uh, he had children and he, had, uh, he just had his first grandson uh, from his son. And uh, uh, I, I think of Dougie a lot. I, I just said, what a, what a great guy. And he had changed his life. He had made himself better. And it was the Camino that was part of that. And I just think that's just a wonderful thing and uh, I also say, think the lesson in this is that don't put things off if you if, always, you know, sometimes you have to, you have a lot of obligations. I do. I have a million of them. But sometimes when you have that chance, grab it because you don't know what's down the road and, and you don't want to die with any regrets. Like you want to really continue to do things all the time and a wide variety of things and walking uh, a Camino is definitely one of them. And for me, especially. Yeah. Well, Bob, I'm really sorry to hear that, that Dougie's passed away. And um, I hope that story that you shared can be some kind of, in some way, your tribute that you're paying to him and the relationship that you, you grew together and you nurtured on the Camino. And I love the takeaway you get about that you said from that story about you know don't put things off and if anyone's listening about obviously everyone's having to most people are having to put off their caminos right now but put it on the horizon if you can because it, even if you have had to postpone it keep it on the horizon because as you said at the start something's going on on the camino and it changed dougie's life you said it changed your life that something that's going on somehow softened even the toughest heart that, that Dougie had and made him cry when he got to Santiago. So yeah. I, I think yeah. this is a good moment to, to probe you on that. What, what is that something that's going on? Well, I, I, I've researched this a lot. I studied, and you know where I got a lot of my information was through anthropology. Um, there's this uh, husband and wife anthropologist he since has died which i think she's still around but i'm not even sure of that victor and edith turner they're anthropologists and they went they went traveled all over the world and studied um tribes and and the way people live and um they they got interested in pilgrimage and they they studied different sorts of pilgrimages all over the world and so this doesn't necessarily there are sayings not necessarily for just the, the Camino in, in Spain and France or, and Portugal, but just Camino, uh, just the walk 
as a pilgrimage itself. And uh, they have all these bunch of things. They, they even coined some new words, communitas, which is that gathering of people uh, in, in, in a community. It, it stems from community, the word community, and that you, that you get together. And, you know, on, on, on the Camino, that's a part of every night a gathering of people for a communal meal. So you even have communal, the word in there. But the word they came up with, communitas, and this happens in cultures everywhere in the world. And uh, it's just more pronounced when you're on the Camino. And um, the idea that the Milky Way lies right above your head, you know, you can see the Milky Way from a lot of places. And I'm real big on seeing starry nights, but the Milky Way on the Camino sits somehow that you could almost follow it from one end to the other if you'd walk at night. That's that, To me, that's you know, to navigate by the stars. That's just a wonderful thing to do. I, I don't know if anyone's actually done that, but I think it's possible. And, uh, you know, I set my alarm sometimes about once a week on the Camino. If I'm at a real little village with hardly any ambient light and there's uh, I'll set my alarm for two o'clock in the morning and uh, really lightly. And I'll tell all the people in Alberta, listen, I'm sorry, but I'm going to get up at two o'clock. You'll hear my alarm go off. I'm going to stop it right away. I'm going to get, I have everything ready. I'm going to go right out. I'm going out to look at the night sky. If anyone's interested, you're more than welcome to come along because the Milky Way is going to be out tonight. It's clear. We're on a mountaintop. We're in a small village. You got to, we're going to see this stuff. And so we would, I would go out on some of those nights, a lot of those nights, and it felt the, the Milky Way was so low, it felt to me, and I think of because it's Milky Way, I think of the the milk like it was dripping milk on you. And a lot of times that was like shooting stars. You see those all the time. And it it was so profound to see that. And I had other people get up, oh man, I don't know if I want to get up at two o'clock in the morning. I'm tired. And I said, Well, this is gonna be great. Where do you see this? And they get out there and like, boom, they're right away. Whoa. I never realized it was that, you know, pronounced. I said, yeah, look, it's up there all the time. But where we are now, because there's no street lights, And I think it was in Miraz on the Norte, near the end of the Norte. It was one of the places where it was the most profound. But I was even up on top of above Santiago, the, the little uh, albergue there before I had, I went up on the hills there one night and, and saw it in pretty pronounced definition. And, uh, yeah, there's it, a whole bunch of other words, the liminality, uh, which is when you go through a, a, a door and it's like the doors of perception and you walk through, uh, the, the, the door step and it, it takes you into another reality that they thought, I really think that's a big part of the Camino, uh, the ley lines, these electromagnetic lines that lay in the ground there and they're places of places of big medicine. And uh, that's where um, these are all over the world. And a lot of the Native American tribes that I that I stayed with when I walked across America taught me about the the places of big medicine, their sacred mountain and big Sur along the coast of California, the canyon in in America. But there's a lot of those places on the Camino and uh, and 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 they they claim it could be ley lines that these these electromagnetic and I, I don't know the definition of that but places is a big medicine uh and then you have the history the architecture and uh all your past memory you and the camino seem to dredge up of your childhood and things that i've walked the camino many times where i'm just walking especially when i'm alone for a few days which i sort of like that it's monastic but that i'll start crying for no reason and I said, oh, what am I, it just don't happen in real life. Why, why am I, and, and I talked to other pilgrims and it does happen a lot of, over there. So uh, some of those things are explainable. Some of them aren't, but to me, they're all part of my Camino. Well, Bob, I mean, there's so much to, to unpack there. I mean, you mentioned the communitas, the sense of community, um, the Milky Way. I have walked one night in my Camino Frances at nighttime as well. And it was for that exact reason that, that you said um, the process of eliminality, stepping from one reality to another, the, 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 the ley lines. Um, we, like you say, some of it's, you can try to explain the unexplainable sometimes, but it's that 
I can honestly say, and I think I've said it once or twice before on this podcast, and you might be able to identify with it as well, that I have felt walking the Camino such unassailable natural highs that I haven't experienced in any other part of my life, not in my job, not anywhere, but I've only experienced them walking the Camino. And also there's the endorphins of that your your body releases from the exercise. Um, but whatever it is, it's a potent feel-good cocktail. And for that reason, if anyone's not walked the Camino, then everything you've just said there are... They are reasons to go and, and walk it or stick it on your bucket list of things to do. It is a life-changing experience. And like you said, it's a bit cliche to say that, but you've done it yourself. You now have experienced that and agree with that. And just to finish, Bob, since we don't often get the pleasure to talk to someone that's walked so many miles on so many different Caminos, I wonder if you could just talk about which one would be good for, say, for example, someone who's going on their first Camino of the ones you've walked, someone who's go returning and wants something maybe a bit different, um, and someone who wants that full Camino experience? Which ones would you recommend? Uh, for a first Camino, uh, the Frances is just the most important one, I think. Uh, though I know it's a bit overcrowded now, I would definitely do it in the off-season like early spring, late fall. And uh, I've even thought about doing it in winter eventually uh, because it is it is a big crowd. And that's just because it's a wonderful place. Uh, but that France says if you do that first, maybe the Porto to Santiago is also another introductory type of route that will give you everything and then you can go on. Uh, and then once you're experienced, uh, the, the La Puy route, the Norte are both very challenging physically. Uh, and they, it's a lot of up and downs, a lot of walking like on the Norte on, up on cliffs and in stormy weather. Uh, you know, so those, those take it to another dimension. And, uh, I know some people have done the Norte as their first one. And, uh, but that can be challenging. Uh, I think that the Frances is for every man. Like, Anybody can do it, no matter what kind of shape you're in. You just do less mileage. It's spaced out, so you can do that. You can walk yourself into shape in the first week or two. Uh, if, if you're not an adventure-type person, there's still all the history and architecture and that uh, and the, the, you know, the religion part of it. You can go to mass almost every night, almost any town. Uh, so all those things come into play that, it is for anybody to do. If there is anyone in the world, it's it's for you. You know, people have done it on wheelchairs and and uh, with crutches, and uh, it's just it's for everyone. And that's what it, it makes it uh, conclusive, like inclusive for everybody. Bob, I don't think we could finish the podcast without doing two things. Firstly, let's say hello to your daughters who are behind your reinvention, your resurrection of your adventures. So a quick hello to your daughters. Can we do that? Yes. Um, yes. Uh, my youngest is now 31. Uh, that's Amberly. The oldest daughter is Adrian. She's 36. She has a little boy. He's six now. And I'm getting him. I'm already talking to him a lot about the Camino because a couple of years, that boy's going with me. So... Uh, <laughs> And uh, I, I, my first daughter went with me. They're five years apart. So the first daughter went with me on my American roots. She was with me a lot during that time from the age of 13 on up, you know, in, into, into her later teens. Uh, but Amberly was younger. She stayed home with mom. And uh, I always felt a little bad because I thought I spent so much time and we had such great bonding time with me and my oldest daughter. What could I do one day to, to, to have that with my younger daughter. And then when they told me that you got to find a new adventurer to get you back on the road and we decided to do the Camino, she said, my younger daughter said, and I'll come with you. So she was with me for two weeks on almost every Camino. Sometimes it was the first two weeks. Sometimes she came into Porto and walked with me all the way up to Santiago the, the third year. So she got to see Porto and, uh, 
And so she, and sometimes it was even the last two weeks. Uh, so she's always been with me for at least one third of each of my Caminos. And, uh, and that once again, a great bonding experience through thick and thing, a few arguments, uh, you know, <laughs> just all of life encapsulated in this little Camino. And now at this point, I can finally feel accomplished that both my daughters had their time with me in two totally different continents. So uh, just going to double check the names. It was Amber Lee, the first one, and yep. Adrian, yeah? Yes. Okay. Well, thank you very much for keeping the wild child alive in your dad and making this amazing interview possible. <laughs> Bob, it's been just so nice talking to you. Um, you've really brightened up my day when I'm having a bit, bit of a feel sorry for myself moment. I've had to cancel my Camino del Norte and uh, back. I'm on now on knee rehab, which is not a lot of fun and quite painful. But anyway, and and you did mention you like to have a bit of music on your Camino, Bob, you, on your iPhone. So what's your Camino song if you had to choose any? Yeah. And you know what? I listen to everything, every genre of music. I have it and I have it all. I listen all the time. I listen to a lot of jazz and each probably every few months, my go to song probably changes a little bit. But uh, there's there's a few things from U2, the Joshua Tree, that those songs always blow my mind. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's basically my life. And, uh, you know, yeah, uh, all, all that, all that stuff, God's country, that oh, album is achievements of music history. And You've just, that, uh, you I just probably... made the hairs of my arm stand on end, Bob. <laughs> um, yeah. Bob, I wonder if you could sing us out maybe from, for the, for the end of the podcast. Oh, don't. You know what? You're you're going too far now, Bradley. I mean, <laughs> what if I get it started? Many talent. What if I get it started? That and you join in with me? Yeah, gotcha. Should we do that? Ready? Um, I have climbed highest mountain. I have run through the fields, but I still haven't found what I'm, what I'm looking, looking for. for. Beautiful. Buen camino, Bob. <laughs> great and i tell you what you'll be back don't worry i know you've got some injuries now but we got the COVID anyway going but you'll be back and one day i hope to walk with you bradley bob that would be an honor it would be an honor and i'm beaming from ear to ear from talking to you bob so um I, thanks for like thanks for putting a smile on my face bob when camino <laughs>